If you looked at the title of our message today, maybe you thought, I can tune out today, I'm not a deacon, nor I'm in the confirmation class who's required to take notes. But don't tune out. Someday you may be a deacon. Someday you might be on the nominating committee, which is called to call deacons and know the qualifications. And yet these qualifications deal with Christian living. And if you know Jesus, you need to live a Christian life. And so we turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We beginning at, begin at verse 8. Uh, deacons who serve well. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Father, these are your words that you've given to us, and you desire that we be open to hear what you have to say, and so I pray, Lord, that you indeed would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you want to give us today. Lord, your word is truth. Sanctify us in that truth, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The word translated deacon uh, comes from a word meaning to minister or to serve. And this word is found over 100 times in the New Testament, and it's used in three different ways. In a very broad sense, the word is used to describe anyone who serves. Uh, John 12, verse 26, uh, Jesus equated following him with serving him. And so any, anybody who loves Jesus and is serving him is fulfilling that mission of a deacon, the, the diacona. And so it's used in a very broad sense. The word is also used to describe the gift of serving that we find in, in Romans chapter 12, the, gift of spirit, or the list of spiritual gifts there. And so those with this gift are specially equipped for service. They may never hold the office of a deacon, but they have that special ability that God has given to serve. And if you think of our congregation, you can probably think of ones who've been specially given that gift of service. And then in a very narrow sense that the word is used to describe what we would call the office of the deacon. And that's how Paul uses it here. So a deacon is someone who is called or uh, perhaps elected to serve, to give of himself for the sake of God's kingdom. If you look at verse 13, Paul's desire is that deacons would serve well. And so the qualifications given here of deacons are ones that would Enable them to say, am I serving well? Here, here, list of, of qualifications. And there's many of them, and, 
And so we're not going to look at everyone in great detail, but I think you can group these qualifications of a deacon into three different ways. First of all, deacons who serve well have control of themselves, self-control. And the first word that Paul uses to describe deacons is the word dignity. It carries the idea of being honorable or being worthy of respect. And so a deacon is one whom people look up to, someone they respect, someone that they honor. And Paul goes on to describe what that means in verse 8. He says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, nor addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain. The man who is double-tongued, if you don't know this, they don't actually have two tongues, okay, so we'll just settle that. The double-tongued man is one who says one thing to one person and says another thing to another person. Reminds you of a politician, huh? Just can't seem to trust their word because it depends what group they're in. One group they say this, another group they say that. Paul says deacons are not double-tongued. Their word means something. Men of truth, men of honesty. And evidently, alcohol was a problem in the city of Ephesus because Paul mentions that now for a second time in this chapter, first with overseers and, and now with deacons. And he says that they must not be addicted to wine. Last Sunday, we had the Teen Challenge Choir singing here and wonderful testimonies of what God had done to to change their lives. And we saw that, what, 50-member choir singing and, and just rejoicing in the deliverance that God gives. But there was a clear warning there, too, wasn't there? Many of them were addicted to drugs and to alcohol, and, and so we ought to take heed to that warning. And for deacons, not addicted to wine, nor be greedy of dishonest gain. In other words, he must not use his office for any personal gain. And, and, and in Paul's day, this was an important quality because the deacons were often in control of the finances. They would take that which was given to the church and they would disperse it to various needs. And they didn't want someone like Judas who was, who was pilfering money from the, the funds that were brought in and, and obviously even denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so all of these deal with the area of self-control, their tongue, with wine and with money. But then Paul goes on to say that deacons who serve well have control of their theology, if we can put it that way. In other words, they aren't wishy-washy in what they believe. Paul had much to say to Timothy about sound theology. As a young pastor, he was admonished by Paul repeatedly to be faithful to God's word. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And if you read through the rest of the, the letter and Second Timothy as well, you see over and over, Paul is challenging Timothy, Timothy to be faithful to the word. 
And that's the same challenge then given to deacons as well. In verse 9, Paul says they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And that word, the faith, would would imply the teaching, the the Scriptures. Deacons must be men who hold faithfully to the Word of God. Paul uses the word mystery here, not because there's anything mysterious about it, but the word was used to describe something that was hidden in the past, but has now been revealed. And it has to do with the basic truths of the gospel. Verse 16, in this same chapter, Paul uses the word to describe Jesus taking on human flesh, the mystery of godliness. And in various other places, Paul is using that term, the mystery, to describe some of the basic teachings of Scripture, such as the Gentiles being a part of the promise to Abraham. Or the the Gentiles being part of the same body with, with the Jews. Or what will happen when Jesus comes again. And so those are all basic teachings of the Word of God. And Paul says that deacons are to be continually, present tense, holding on to these truths. In other words, they don't change their theology with the culture of the day. And sadly... That is what is happening in many churches today. As the culture has changed and become more accepting of all kinds of different things, you find churches that are embracing that false teaching. They used to believe that the Bible was the inerrant Word of God, but not anymore. It's not very popular. They used to believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, but... Not anymore in some churches. They used to believe that homosexuality was a sin, but not anymore. They used to believe that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead, but not anymore. And I hope that's not the kind of church that you want. Where there are men in leadership position who change their theology to match the culture but rather ones who are holding to the truth of God's Word regardless of what the culture may say. And that's why Paul says then in verse 10, the deacons are to be tested first. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Because the worst thing you can do is put someone in leadership who is not ready for leadership, someone who has not been tested, someone who is not faithful to God's Word. And that is a pattern that is seen all throughout Scripture. There's a time of testing first before leadership. Think of Joseph, a servant in Egypt for 13 years before God put him in leadership. Moses cared for sheep in the wilderness for 40 years before God sent him to lead Israel out of Egypt. Joshua served under Moses for those 40 years before he was appointed to lead the people into the promised land. And that principle is clearly seen. And sometimes you find uh, churches that say, you know, Bill hasn't been coming to church months. Let's make him a deacon. Huh? Or Fred, he's not involved. Let's, let's give him a, a job as a trustee. Is that a wise thing? Someone who has not been tested, someone who has not been shown to be faithful, and then put them in a position of leadership so that they'll get involved? (laughs) 
Sadly, that's what happens in some churches, and I think that's a problem. Deacons need to be tested. Are they faithful to the Word? Are they men of integrity, men of dignity, men of honesty, men of self-control? If not, they're not ready to be in that position. We saw with overseers, they were not to be a new convert, not newly planted, literally. Time to mature, time to grow, time to show that they have stood firm for the truth. And so deacons who serve well have control of themselves. Deacons who serve well have control of their theology. They aren't changing with the culture. And then thirdly, just like with overseers, deacons who serve well have control of their family. Again, we see that principle. When it comes to the family, Paul says that deacons, like overseers, must be husbands of only one wife, or as we saw a couple weeks ago, a one-woman man. Literally, a one-woman man. And if you look at verse 11, you notice how Paul expands on that, where he says women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. I'm not sure how your Bible translates that first word of verse 11. Some believe it refers to deaconesses, to women in a position of leadership, a deaconess. Uh, my Bible gives that footnote uh, after uh, for the word woman, women, either deaconesses or the wives of deacons. I believe the, the ESV says their wives uh, must likewise be dignified. That seems to make the most sense to me because then he goes back to deacons again must be husbands of only one wife. And so it appears to me that Paul is is addressing here that marriage relationship between a deacon and his wife and that she too has a part of that ministry. Likewise must be dignified, the same word that Paul used to describe the deacons, not malicious gossips, again the use of tongue, like Paul just talked about with deacons, but temperate, faithful in all things. And I have seen over the years in in my ministry that the wife of a spiritual leader can be sometimes a hindrance to a pastor or a deacon's ministry. Where some have even left the ministry because of a wife that was not supportive. A wife that did not want to be in ministry and caused problems for a pastor or a deacon. But I've also seen the very opposite many times. Where you have a, a wife that is supportive of the role of her husband. As a pastor's wife or the wife of a deacon realizes that she is in the ministry with him and that it is indeed a family thing, a family ministry. I remember visiting one time with a man that was from my home congregation and he was talking about my father's ministry there. And he said, you know, I never heard anyone say a bad word about your mother. And then he, 
Then he paused, and I knew, I knew it was coming next because my dad was a man who was willing to stand for the truth, was willing to say what the Word said. Then he says, your father, on the other hand, <laughs> there were a few that got rubbed the wrong way because of his faithfulness to the Word. But your mother... She supported and encouraged and, and really enhanced the ministry of my father. And that's what a wife of a pastor, wife of a deacon is to be. Women likewise. The wives must likewise be committed. And I'm thankful for my wife. I'm not going to talk about her in public, but I'm just grateful for her. I want you to know that. I'll probably get in trouble when I get home, but I praise God for the wife that, that God has given to me. And then he talks about children, too. Deacons must likewise be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. The family relationship is so key in in, in ministry. And there's something powerful, isn't there, about the witness of a well-ordered Christian family. When those in ministry have a family that just seems to be a mess... (laughs) The congregation scratches his head and says, well, there, there's, there's something, something wrong here. And obviously our kids are not intended to be perfect and never will be. But there's something about a, a Christian family that is well-ordered. That is serving the Lord together. And that can really be, become a, a wonderful blessing in, in the life of a deacon or the life of, of a pastor. It helps a, a pastor's ministry, a deacon's ministry, to be more fruitful because they see the principles of God's Word lived out in action. And there's something about that, isn't there? When you see evidence of God's work in the lives of, of a family. I remember hearing a story about this pastor that had moved to a, a new community. And... Uh, one of the merchants in town was very, very skeptical about preachers. You know, they only work on Sunday and they're this and that. And, and so one of the preacher's kids came to his store to buy something. And he deliberately gave that boy too much money back as a test. The little boy saw that he was given 10 cents too much. And he told the man, he said, Sir, I think you've given me too much money back. He said, Yes, I know I did. He said, I was, going, I was testing you. <laughs> I was going to see if, if you were going to be an honest young man. Wouldn't you know that... Man thought, okay, maybe there's something different about this family. And he said, I'm I'm going to check this out. And so he visited their church for several weeks. And he came to know Jesus as his Savior. A ten-cent testimony was the result. And so I'll tell you, when we as spiritual leaders are are living in a way that, that uplifts Jesus in dignity and honesty, people notice that. And they kind of want to know, what is it then that that makes you different? What is it that makes you that way? What is it that causes you to live different from the way that the world lives? And then we have the opportunity to share. What is it that makes us different? It's not because we're so wonderful. 
Not because we're so good. It is Jesus Christ that makes the difference. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And when our living matches what we say, what a powerful witness that is. And I don't know about you who are spiritual leaders in some way today, but you know what that causes me to do? It causes me to say, God, help me. God, help me. Help me to live in a way that honors you. Help me to live in a way that that doesn't hinder the gospel of Jesus. To live in a way that would cause people to say, you know what? I want to listen. I want to hear. What is it that makes him different? It's Jesus. And that's who we need. That's what brings me to my knees. As I I look at the, the qualifications of an overseer and a deacon, it drives me to my knees. It causes me to say, God. I need your help. God enabled me to be the kind of man that you want me to be. My dad told me the story once. He had been preaching a series of messages on witnessing. And he went out one Sunday afternoon to a a wedding anniversary. And the couple, he didn't know very well. And, and when he walked in there, he hardly knew anyone. And he said the conversation was kind of crass. And there were people smoking. And, and just kind of the environment where Satan was saying, you know what? You don't need to share anything here. Just greet them and go. Lord, help me to share. And so he opened his Bible and he asked if he could have attention. I just want to identify who he was. I just want to share a little bit. So he shared some scripture, prayed for the couple who was having the anniversary. And as he was walking out, there was this lady sitting in the porch. And she said, Pastor Franz, she said, I've been listening to you on the radio. And she said, I know that you've been preaching about being a good witness. And she said, I was just wondering if you were going to practice what you preach. Dad took a deep breath and he got out in the car and he said, oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the the grace and the strength to open my mouth at a time when it would have been so easy to just kind of say hello and leave. Oh God, help us. Help us to be what God wants us to be. To live out our faith in a way that, that causes people to want to know about Jesus. And then we point them to Him. We don't point them to us, we point them to Him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May God give us grace to live as he calls us to live for the glory and the praise of his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that you've called to be overseers, to be deacons, to be Sunday school teachers, to be youth group leaders. Whatever position of leadership, Father, that you have called us to be involved in, I pray that you would help us. We need you, Lord. We need your power and your wisdom and your strength because we realize how weak we are in ourselves. 
We thank you, Lord, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Father, fill us with your Spirit and use us for the glory and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.